you're listening to the Living Word Church podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So I need to know, question of the day here is, who in the room is a good arguer? If you're, you're like, just a, you excel at arguing. Okay. I, I just saw a husband raise his, a wife's arm. That's not good. That's not going to go well. So I'll see you guys in counseling this week. But my son Landon has a shirt that says, I don't argue. I just explain why I'm right. So isn't it interesting that sometimes that can be filtering even into our approach toward God, can it? Like, some of us, if we're honest, we don't really come to seek God, we come to argue with him. And that kind of leads us to our first question for today. Have you come to seek or argue? You know, the the difference is huge in the heart. Like, sometimes we come in and we just want to argue with God. We want to argue with him because we're upset about something or disappointed in something, or we we really want to try to, like, bend his word to say what we want it to say, and we're hoping it says, and there's this argument, but, but there's a whole different thing that happens when we come with a heart that's truly seeking him. And so we're going to talk about that here this morning. Question number two for today is, are you stressed about something that Jesus has already shown you he can handle? I bet that's a lot of us here today, like stressing about things. God's already shown me he's got this. He's already come through in other times, decades ago or last year or last week even, and yet here I am stressing about this thing I already know he can handle. Question number three, what area of your life is half healed? Some of us have been touched by Jesus, but then... We're like, I'm different than I was, but man, there's, there's still some progress that could be made in that area. You know, I think that in our souls, in our emotions, in relationships, these are some of the areas that we kind of leave ourselves half healed. What does it look like to continue to pursue Jesus for the rest of that healing? We're going to talk about that. And lastly, is following Jesus the most important thing in your life? Like there's all kinds of things trying to be the most important thing in our life. And I think in our day and age, a lot of it are things like comfort. Um, success, I think money and stuff and popularity. And so what is the most important thing? Is it truly him? If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're going to really answer one question for you today along with the others, and that's who is Jesus? And that's a big theme in the book of Mark and in really all the gospels. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Who is he? And what's the truth about him? And so we're going to see that here this morning as well. And as we've been seeing in the book of Mark, the author is Mark and his buddy Peter, who was one of the disciples who we're actually going to hear a little bit about today. He was the one who told Mark all the things that he firsthand saw Jesus do. And so that's where Mark got his information. And the theme of the book of Mark is Jesus the servant. So let's dive in here. And uh, first off, I'll just remind you that a few weeks ago, Pastor Ravone preached an awesome message. And part of that message, he talked about how Jesus fed the 5,000. And um, some of you guys will remember how God, uh, Jesus miraculously transformed some loaves and, and some fish into enough that everyone could eat. And today we find ourselves in a similar situation, so I'm not going to go verse by verse through that because we already saw a very similar story, but let's just say that what the Bible tells us is that another large crowd gathers and there are people that are hungry and Jesus' heart goes out to them and it says in verse 4, his disciples answered, after Jesus says, let's feed them, they answer, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, that, didn't they hear Pastor Ravone's message a few weeks ago? Like, they didn't have to. They were there. They were there, they saw the 5,000 plus women and children fed, and here they are in the same exact scenario going, "Uh uh-oh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pull this off? Isn't that you and me sometimes? Jesus is merciful to the people, and he does the same exact thing, and he multiplies the loaves 
and the fish, and everybody eats. And in Mark 6, when Pastor Ravon uh, talked about that, there was 5,000 plus women and children. In this story, we get 5,000 or 4,000 fed. So Jesus is slacking a little here. You know, he dropped the bar a little bit on this one. But this storyline will continue, all right? So be ready for this theme about the bread and about this need for bread to come back up in just a minute. But before that, in Mark 11, it says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Now, why does Jesus seem cranky here, almost rude about this whole interaction, and he seems upset, and he comes off and says, no sign is going to be given to you. Like, what's all that about? Well, see, Jesus knows something, and it's really right in the words that we just read. The Pharisees came and began to question. Everybody say question. Came to question Jesus. And now listen, they didn't come to question Jesus like, oh, great, amazing Savior, teacher, redeemer, Like, here I am to sit at your feet and soak in your wisdom, knowledge, and goodness. They came to argue. They came to trap him. They came to try to trip him up. And if they could trip him up, then maybe they could get enough against him to execute him. And so Jesus has miraculously fed all these people. He's been healing people. He's been setting people free from demonic possession. And instead of these people coming to seek him, they come to argue with him. My question for you and me is, right now in life, would you say that you're coming to seek or argue? Are you coming to really seek Jesus for who he is and submit yourself to like his truth and what he says is right and good? Or is it more like I'm still trying to bend him to my way? Or I'm still trying to nail him down? Or maybe you're here or watching online and you really don't know about Jesus if you could trust him. You don't know if all this stuff's true. And it's almost like instead of coming in to actually find out, is this true? It's like sometimes we could come in to almost prove it wrong. And I would just say today, come in with the right heart. Don't be like the Pharisees. Come in ready to seek him. The Bible tells us that those who seek will find. And there are no bad questions, right? I would say to you today, if you come in with questions, if you're angry at God about something, you're disappointed, if you are just questioning if any of this or all of this is true, then I would say truly seek it out. C.S. Lewis once said that if there's even a chance that all this is true, we'd be crazy not to actually look into it. So I'd encourage you, if there's a chance Jesus actually came, if he actually loves you, if he actually existed, if he actually died and rose again to forgive your sins, wouldn't it be crazy not to actually seek that? So I encourage you to have that heart as he wants a relationship with you. Let's keep going. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Everybody say bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So there's 13 guys in the boat. They got one loaf of bread. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So Jesus is using an illustration here. He's saying, hey guys, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And what he means is, it's just like we all know that there's yeast in bread that causes it to rise as it's cooked. There was a yeast of unbelief that would spread throughout the hearts of the Pharisees, which caused them to rise up against Jesus. So he's warning them against that, but they miss it. And in verse 16, it says, they discussed with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? I just have to laugh. This is actually one of my favorite stories in the Gospels because I just, I guess I see so much of myself in it. Like here they are seeing time after time Jesus has provided bread for thousands and thousands of people and they're like, no, we only have one loaf for the 13 of us. What are we going to do? 
And I actually, as I was reading this, I was reminded of my great-grandparents. They both lived very late in life, and so I got to know them both very well. And uh, my great-grandfather, Anthony Morello, was through and through Italian, and uh, he, I, he, he loved food. He loved dessert. He believed you should start with dessert. Amen, anybody on that one? And so, he, but he loved dessert, and he loved bread. And I can just hear him and my grandma arguing at the table. They love to argue. Uh, my grandfather actually would get to the point he just turned his hearing aids off, get a little break. But they love talking. And so they're at the break. And I, my Aunt Eleanor Morello would have cooked this amazing meal and slaved over her sauce and her meatballs and everything and put it all out there. And I can just hear us, us all sitting down, my, my great-grandfather going, where's the bread, Eleanor? Where's the bread? Right? The, the, the biggest sin any Italian man could commit is to eat a meal without bread. And it just reminds me of these guys just sitting there going, what, what, what do we mean about the bread? Verse 17. Aware of their disgust, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Jesus just told them, don't allow the, the yeast of the Pharisees, which is what? Unbelief, to spread through your heart. And here they are questioning if Jesus can pull off a meal for 13. Verse 17, aware of their discussion. Oh, that's the one I just read. Let's go to 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. So there's a lot of leftovers, right? And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Guys, you've seen this. You saw it with your own eyes. You were right there. You helped me pick up the extra. Like, you remember that, right? And then I just did it again. Don't you remember Question two, are you stressed about something Jesus has already shown you he can handle? What might Jesus say to us? What if he'd say, don't you remember how I provided for you in the past? And you're so stressed about it again. Don't you remember how I rescued you out of that toxic relationship and blessed you with something new and good? And you're stressed about a similar situation again. Don't you remember when I pulled you out of that miry pit you were stuck in, all kind of a mess and sin, and don't you remember my love for you and how I just rescued you out of that? What might he say to us as a church? Some of you remember being in the old building in Wisconsin. He might say to us, don't you remember how I blessed and you outgrew that space? And don't you remember how when you were six or seven weeks away from being homeless, I opened up the doors here to this school? And don't you remember... Just a few weeks after that, we began to notice a property up the street. And a little while after that, I gave you five acres with worth about $6 million for 1.55. Like, don't you remember the ways that I've come through? Or you think I can't handle what's next? I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves. Now, listen, the, 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 the uh, truth that Jesus provides for us doesn't mean we should be stupid. Everybody say, don't be stupid. All right, so I'd say a fraction of you said that, so I don't know what that says about the rest of you, but all right. don't be stupid, right? Why should we not be stupid? Well, because I think that sometimes we make some decisions that aren't the wisest because we're depending on God to save us in ways that maybe he didn't promise to. And I'll give you an example. Like None of us would think to ourselves, well, I was in an accident and God protected me. I was in a car accident and God protected my life, so I'm going to jump out of an airplane now without a parachute and he's going to catch me. None of us would reason that, right? But I think sometimes we do similar things just in different ways. You know, like, I, I'll take the loaded Ferrari, please, and put it on the credit card, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for this, but that's all right, God's got it. And then we have to realize something. God promised to provide for our needs, not our greed, right? So we have to be careful and not presume upon things that God hasn't promised us 
And yet, at the same time, I'm always feeling like I'm, I'm dangling up here trying to balance this all out. But at the same time, remember, we have an amazing God who provides. We have an amazing God who can come through and do the things that we just can't figure out how to get met any other way. But it's easy to forget this. There's this pastor friend that I know pretty well, and um, God has blessed him a lot. God blessed this guy with a great family and a great church. God uh, provided him and his family a home. There's no other way on Long Island that they could have owned a home, but God provided them a home. Uh, years ago, God protected one of his kids who was in the womb and about to die, and God miraculously spared that child's life. God uh, rescued this uh, guy's wife from sickness and illness and being at the point of death years ago. God rescued this guy out of a multi-year depression and saved his life. And, and the people in this guy's church are like amazing, like the best ever. And God's moving and powerful. But this idiot pastor, it's okay, he knows I call him that once in a while. This, this idiot pastor, oh, that's, that's me. And I'm talking about me. Like, and yet I can go, where's the bread, God? Where's the bread? How are you going to come through? How do you see that in yourself? stressed about something that Jesus has already shown you he can handle. Don't doubt that he can do it again. So are you here to seek or argue? Seek him. And are you doubting that he's got you? He's got you. Let's keep going. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, let's stop right there. Jesus is spitting again, everybody. We saw this last week. Jesus is spitting again. Now, why would he have spit? Well, one commentator said this, to spit on the man's eyes and to lay hands on him are things that a blind man can feel. Now, if I'm honest, if I'm the blind man, I'm going, Jesus, just heal me. I don't need the spit side of it. But when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So let's just stop for a minute and say, how good is God that this blind man just said I could see? Pretty awesome, right? pretty amazing. And so God has done a miracle here. And it's likely this man wasn't born blind because he knew what trees looked like. And yet here's this man who had lost his sight. And here's this man who can see to a degree, but there's a problem. And the problem is the statement, they look like trees. They're not supposed to look like trees. And I just got to tell you today, there could not be a more accurate picture of some of us than what this man is experiencing. Guys, some of us, I'm convinced with all my heart, we are half healed. We're looking around, but the people look like trees. God did something in our life. He touched us in some way. He provided, he came through, he showed up, and we were about half healed. And for whatever reason, we stopped going to him. Or the length of the timing of the miracle is taking so long that maybe we've just grown weary. And we've stopped asking. We've stopped expecting. And we've stopped hoping. And I think that part of my job today is to inspire some of us back to the hope for the rest of the healing, that God will show up for the rest of the provision, for the rest of the inner healing. And again, I said this earlier, but I think a lot of the healing that we give up on is emotional relational stuff or even soul stuff. I think that we just get to the point where God began a good work and hey man, I can see, I couldn't see. Now I can see it, they look like trees, but I can see, so I'm just gonna get going on my way. And I just really believe that the Lord is wanting to go, well, let me finish that healing. And I think a lot of this has to do with, 
And again, I know this can sound all ushy-gushy-feely, but it's so true, especially us guys in the room, us, us tough New York guys, man, to allow the Lord permission, not like he needs it, but he wants us to come to him, the permission to access the soul and the emotions and the relationships. Because I think as guys, especially, we like to just push that to the side. I'll tell you, up until about 25 years old, if it wasn't fun or funny, I really didn't care about it. Which meant I pushed a lot of hurt to the side, a lot of rejection to the side. And guess what happened with all that? Oh, it found its way back up in different ways. No wonder I went through a multi-year depression. And so allowing God into those areas of our lives is so incredibly important. You know how when you're vacuuming and you're vacuuming on the rug, everything's looking good. It's just, it's just eating up all the dirt and mess on the floor. And then you get over to the wood part or the tile. And if you don't turn that brusher rolly thing off, it's not getting up into the vacuum anymore, right? Because the, the brusher rolly thing's just pushing it to the other side of the room. You, you vacuum this side of the room, and you're like, I thought I already vacuumed that side. But it, all it did was just push the dirt from this side to that side. And I think that is a picture of so many of us when we just push the hurt, we push the rejection, we push the sin issue off to the side, we ignore it, we pretend it's not there, and then we're like, man, why am I hurting so much? Or half healed. I think the Lord wants us to bring to him the soul, the emotions, the body, the relationships, that he would continue the healing in our lives. Verse 25, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and it says in the next part, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And I think this should be our prayer. Our prayer should be, oh Lord, heal me wholly and fully. My body, my mind, my emotions, my relationships, my soul, spiritual stuff, financially, Lord, your provision, God, come through. And this is going to be the third week in a row I'm going to say this, and then I'll just leave it alone, all right? But I think it's so important that we just continue to approach the Lord until we hear no, right? Like Paul, take this thorn out of my side. God says, my grace is enough. Which reminds me, and I've been saying this for three weeks now, you never leave a time with Jesus empty-handed because he either gives you the answer to that request or he gives you the grace to continue on until it's the time. And so we keep going, everybody. And I just, again, feel it's my job today to encourage some of you guys back to the hope of the rest of the healing, of the rest of the inner work he wants to do in your life, your soul, or relationship. And so keep on going to him. And another interesting thought here is that I think what this guy was going through physically was a picture of what the disciples were going through spiritually. And I'm learning a lot as we study Mark, that that's often what God does as he set up the book of Mark. Like last week we saw that there was all this um, attention that the Pharisees were giving to the, to the outside, and God is going, I'm worried about the inside. You're worried about the outside. I'm worried about the inside. And then he, we get this incredible visual picture of a demon-possessed girl with this demon on the inside, right? And, and, and I think in a similar way here, Jesus heals this man that he half sees and I think that's a picture of the disciples at this point. They're half seeing who Jesus was. He's a, an amazing man. He's a, a wise teacher, maybe a prophet. He's a miracle worker. But they're missing son of God, savior of the world, Messiah, redeemer. But it all is about to come out right here because Peter has this revelation. So Jesus sends the man home, and it says in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So those are the rumors going around about Jesus. This is who the people says that he was. But Jesus is about to ask a much more important question. Verse 29, but what about you, he asks, 
Who do you say I am? Everybody say you. Who do you say that I am? People can say what they want about me, but who do you say as he looks at his followers? And this is literally the most important question any of us will ever answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And listen, I can tell you who he is. The word of God tells me who he is. But then you have to know for you. Like kids in the room, your parent can't answer this question for you. We can tell you, but you have to be able to answer it for yourself. Uh, Somebody new to the church, I can't answer this question for you and base your salvation on my belief. It is a personal thing here. Who do you say that Jesus is? And then Peter answered in the next part, you are the Messiah. Now we're talking. Now Peter has full sight. He's not seeing people walking around like trees anymore. He's seeing the real Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who came to forgive our sins, God in the flesh. Verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why? Because the time wasn't right yet. It would have actually gotten in Jesus' way right now if the word about him spread. And I said this a few weeks ago, but one commentator mentioned, isn't it funny that Jesus told them not to say anything, and they did, and he tells us to tell people about him, and we don't. Isn't that an interesting dynamic and something we need to grow in? Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He's talking about himself. Son of Man is one of the nicknames of Jesus. And he'll be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen to him. And what's interesting is, is they don't quite get it. And once Jesus is in the ground, none of the disciples expect Jesus to come back. They're all running for fear of their lives, right? And so we get to verse 32. It says, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. My man Peter began to rebuke Jesus. And I honestly think that we give Peter a really hard time for this. My, my true belief is that Peter was not trying to oppose the ways of God here. He was not on a mission to oppose what Jesus was trying to do, but I think it was his love for Jesus that made him go, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't want you to have to go through all that suffering and betrayal and dying. And No, 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 it's going to be all right. And I understand that from a love aspect. You can ask my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm always tending to, to try to put a positive spin on things, you know, like, like if, out of love. Like if one of my kids comes out and, uh, you know, their eyes out to here, and then I think I had an allergic reaction. I just slept weird on it. Don't worry about it, you know. So they start wheezing. You know, like, ah, it's change of seasons. You know, limb falls off. Kelly's like, I'm calling the doctor. I don't even right? They got another one. But, but I, th- I think that Peter was, was like, no, Jesus, it's going to be all right. Like, like you're, you're, everyone's running to you. Everybody wants you. You're like the, this rock star. Everybody loves you. What do you mean you're going to die and suffer? And then Jesus comes back in verse 33. With, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. All right, so question for you. Who wrote the book of Mark? All right, good. And who gave, you like my little smile there? Yeah, I got me a little nervous. All right, it's week eight, everybody. All right, good. And who gave Mark his information? Peter, very good. So if you are a skeptic here today going, all right, I don't even believe the Bible is true. Peter and Paul are known as the guys who kind of started the church, and they were out for power and popularity and fame and probably money, right? And that's the argument against why the New Testament can't be trusted. Well, isn't it interesting then that if Mark got his information from Peter, that Peter would include, as he's telling Mark about Jesus, oh, and he called me Satan. 
one of the Bible's real, man, why would all those flaws be in there? Peter and Paul were out for money and trying to be popular and famous and lie about everything that had happened for their own gain. You never would have had Peter in here in this interaction with Jesus. Verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, if I could just be honest with you, at the 930, this is where I felt the air go out of the room. We just got to go, all right, Lord, I'm ready for you to challenge my heart. I'm ready for you to challenge my heart right now. Because Jesus is saying something pretty difficult here. And he's not saying that we are going to earn our way to God by doing anything. He's not saying take up your cross, deny yourself, and and if you deny yourself, that's the path to get to me. That's called asceticism, and a lot of religions promote that. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, look, following me is not going to be easy. Your salvation is 100% a free gift, but to follow me, there's going to be some cost. You're not paying me. That's all free, but it will cost you because we live in a culture that hates me, and to follow me then is going to cost some things. So question number four for you and I today is following Jesus the most important thing in your life. Jesus goes on, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What does this mean? Um, It doesn't mean we're all going to be martyrs and we're all going to die on a cross like Jesus did. What it means is, Jesus is trying to say is, if you try to save your physical life, and he's not just talking about your actual physical life. I mean, that might be a part of it, but, but your physical life represents all kinds of things, doesn't it? And I think some of the things it represents for you and I in 2024 in American culture are things like comfort and ease and security and success. And I think... Jesus here is trying to challenge us and challenge them that, you know, we can hang on to everything that makes up physical life, but if we do that, we'll lose our spiritual life. But if we go ahead and gain that spiritual life, we're willing to give up some of those comforts and maybe successes and some of those securities, right? And so he says, take up your cross, follow me. And he he talks about how we don't want to miss out on the actual life. And he, he goes on, he says in verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus isn't saying, come on, y'all slackers, you should be more disciplined than you should be, you know, just really fighting it out so that you can do something that pleases me so you'll be acceptable to me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that I want you to give up what you think is good for what's actually best. I want you to give up what you think is good for what's actually best. You think comfort is good, and you think security is good, and you think ease of life is good, and you think lack of persecution is good, but there's something better. And security and comfort and ease, man, they can all let us down so quickly. After the 9.30, a guy came up to me, and he had this grimace on his face, Funny guy, so I, I knew probably some kind of a joke was coming, but he had this grimace on his face, and he goes, he goes, I had a lazy boy couch delivered to my house yesterday, and now you're talking about comfort and ease of life. He's like, I got to take that thing back. I'm like, bro, you can keep the couch. I'm not saying you can't keep the couch. He's like, he's like, my old couch, I was sitting on it like this. I could hardly get up. I'm like, enjoy your lazy boy couch. But man, don't we bow at the altar of comfort and ease right now? here's Jesus challenging us to something else, and he's trying to remind us that life here and now, man, it is short when compared to eternity, and that what is best is the salvation of our soul, and that the salvation of our soul was possible because he died on a cross for us, and that this salvation is 100% a gift, and because of that, we now respond with, all right, Jesus, 
that following you means I got to take up my cross and that it's going to cost me sometimes because your kingdom is very different than this world's kingdom that I'm in because I do not want to miss out on what is best just for what I think is good. And by the way, is comfort really working for you? Like, really? I mean, it's nice, but is is it like soul satisfying? Is, is entertainment like really, truly doing it for you? Like, do you wake up every day with hope and promise that this is going to be an amazing day because you have Netflix on your device? You know what I mean? But isn't it funny, and I can be as guilty of this as anybody else, how we can get tricked into just the ease and the comfort and the lack of problems. And here's Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Don't miss out on what is best just because you want what you think is good. And you've heard me say it like this before. I think that the trade here is like giving up a penny for a billion dollars. Like what you and I, it will cost us to follow Jesus here and now in this life, or what we'll have all eternity in Jesus is like giving up a penny now for billions of dollars because that is what the Lord has promised is not million dollars, but billion dollars, but blessing and the closeness and the nearness with him. And man, all the things we have to look forward to. And for some of us, as I was talking before about being half healed, Hey, man, I've been honest with you. I believe we go for it. We trust the Lord to come through and answer prayer and do huge miracles in our lives. We've seen it. Let's see you do it again, Lord. But at the very least, we know that eternity is coming. And guys, there wasn't one amen yelled out when I said that because we get bored of that information. And it doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we're such a here and now society. But man, if I've got anything to offer you today, it's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Right? Like, what do I have? I'll make your life better. I want your life to be great, but that is not the ultimate hope I have to give you today. We get to look ahead to eternity with our Savior. We get to know our sins are forgiven. What's better than that? What a beautiful gift the Lord has given to you and me. And he goes on in verse 38, and we're going to look at just two more verses right here. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. And and Mark 9, 1 is a part of this section, so let's just read it. And he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And again, we get this trade in view. Jesus goes, my kingdom's about to come in power. You're about to see me come back from the dead. I know none of you believe that that's going to happen, but it's going to happen, and then you'll believe it, and then you're going to take up your cross and follow me. And Peter literally would take up his cross and follow Jesus. But he was so in on it, that when they tried to put him on the cross, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. Crucify me upside down. That's what the early church fathers tell us happened when Peter was executed for his faith. Because there was just such a reality in his life that Jesus was the Savior of the world and his sins were forgiven and there's an eternity waiting for him on the other side. So let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Let's not be ashamed. And again, it's not a works thing. It's not like if I'm ashamed of him now, uh, he'll be ashamed of me then. It's like this whole balance. I have to make sure I'm not ashamed of him enough that he'll accept me. No, you're accepted by him. But I want you to think about the person that you love most. My my kids always ask me, which of us do you love most? It's a dangerous question, right? You just always know. I love you all the same. I love you all the same. I love you all the same. And, you know, but like, can you imagine, I can't imagine a scenario where, where for my wife or my kids, like, Anyone would ever be able to get me to be ashamed of my association with them. Like, they, they could have their worst day and have their worst decision and make their worst mistake. And because of my love for them, I just can't ever imagine distancing myself from them because my love for them is so strong. And here is Jesus saying, do not be ashamed of me. 
Stand for me, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Give up the penny for the billion-dollar trade-off, right, like of what I have for you and what I'm able to do. What he has given us is so much greater than what we would ever give up. So what have we seen here today? Have you come to seek or argue? Come to seek. He offers so many wonderful, beautiful things. Come to seek him. He loves you, wants a relationship with you, died to give you that relationship. And have your questions answered. Let's talk. Let's get into the the nitty-gritty and the hard stuff and the difficult stuff. But there are answers. And so don't just come to argue. Don't just come to arm wrestle God's word to your will. No, seek him. And trust him that what he has to say is good. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks. We're going to see in just a few chapters from now that there's some countercultural stuff in the scriptures. But that, man, we always know that God's way is best. Next question, are you stressed about something Jesus has already shown you he can handle? It's time to bring it to him again. Maybe you have to bring it to him a thousand times a day. Good, keep bringing it to him. And keep reminding yourself of the truth. And the Lord's been challenging me on a personal level lately that I really got to get my mind in better shape, you know? Like, we all want to get our body in better shape. You know, I need to do that too. But, but my mind is, like, also in, in, in needing way more attention than my body. Some of you guys are like, really? <laughs> but I, I, I need to get this mind hearing and speaking the truth of God back to my own soul because it's just so easy to allow you to get down on yourself, to, to believe lies, to believe things that just aren't the truth of God. And we got to recycle, and we got to get back in our head over and over and over again, his word and his ways. And so is there a stress that you just need to catch? You know, the scripture says, take every thought captive. We always talk about, yeah, take it captive. And we think of lust, and that's a great thing to do. It's, you know, let's, let's stop that lustful thought. But the same is true about anxiety, isn't it? The moment we realize we're thinking it, it's time to stop it and replace it with truth. I, I've seen a savior multiply loaves and bread before. I got one piece, and there's 13 of us. I think he's got this, Right? Preaching the truth back to your soul. What area of your life is half healed? Bring it to him. Continue on. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, especially if it's emotional, relational stuff, soul stuff. That's hard. But it's worth it. And you're just going to kick it up to the other side of the room and have to deal with it later. So I'll bring it to him. Allow him to bring the rest of that healing. Is following Jesus the most important thing in your life? When comfort and convenience and success and all the other things are, are calling for our attention. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And I think everything that we talked about fits into this theme today. And it's just simply, just two words, is really the answer to all four questions. Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. You can come and you can argue with him. No, seek him. Some of you guys, seek him for that thing that he's already shown you he can handle. Some of us, it's seek him for the whole healing and For the rest of us, it's seek him first. Make him first over all things. Next week, we'll continue this series. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, seek him. Scriptures say you'll find him. Seek him out. Wouldn't it be crazy if this was real? If he loves you, if your sins can be forgiven, if he rose from the dead, wouldn't it be crazy to not fully explore that with a whole heart? And I love another scripture in the Bible. It says in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah 29, it says, if you, seek for, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Like, go in, man. Go in. We, we seek so many things with all our heart, don't we? Like, so many stupid things, so many meaningless things. Seek this, the most important thing, with all your heart. Just close with this story. Years ago when I was in college, I met a lady named Betty Knopp. I don't think I had a full conversation with her. Um, she was super quiet, super shy. 
And Betty was um, just a special woman. She had lived as a missionary in Colombia and uh, given so much of her life there to tell people about Jesus and serve the Lord. And then later in life, when she was around this age, she came back to Nyack College and she had some kind of position at the school. I don't even really know what she did, but I know that about once a month or every three weeks, and she would rotate which dorm she did this with, you would start to just hear, like, at least in our dorm, you'd start to hear the, uh, the guys, like, just like, Betty, Betty, Betty. And then you'd be like, what's going on? And you'd put your head out, and, and then you'd join it, Betty, Betty. And the whole, before you know it, the whole dorm's going, Betty. Why? Because Betty came in with grocery bags full of stuff for these poor college students and gave of herself in this old age, lived by herself, who knew, who, knew, who knew what she had, what she had. I mean, she was giving out of her nothing, honestly. And she'd walk in and she'd drop these, these bags down on the table and we would just chant Betty. And she wouldn't say a word, she would smirk, she'd giggle a little at the Betty chant, we'd Betty chant her out the door. She was all just in on it, she loved it. But I remember one day they, they honored Betty in chapel. And I don't remember anything she said except two words, and I actually think all she did was say, all I have to say is, and then she said the two words, if I'm remembering correctly. And the two words she said after giving up much of her life in Colombia as a missionary and the rest of her older years to serve a bunch of knucklehead kids who are learning to be pastors and missionaries, the, the two words were, no regrets. I remember as a 20-year-old kid, I'm 46 now, 26 years later, I, that still just strikes me. Like, no Regrets. Betty took up her cross and followed the Lord, whether that was to another country or it was just to some kids who were so blessed by some ramen noodles and some pretzels. And I just wonder, what does it look like for you and I to go, all right, Lord, no regrets, no regrets. I want to take up my cross. I want to follow you. I'm imperfect. So, hey, I understand. And maybe part of Betty's statement that stood out to me a little weird was, was really you have no regrets, like nothing you've ever done? Because there are things I think about that I do regret. But, but I think her understanding of her forgiveness accomplished by Jesus on the cross was so deep that those were no longer regrets. She, she already had the forgiveness and the, and the cleansing that Jesus offers, right? And from that point forward, like walk with that cross on your shoulder and you serve and you love with no regrets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we have a Betty to remember today. I thank you, God, for what you are calling each of us to, and I just pray for your help, God, as not easy stuff that we talked about today, but so incredibly important. And so, God, I just pray for those of us that came in today to argue, we're hurt, we're angry, or we really want your word to not say something that it says, and we're trying to wrestle it our way. Um, God, help us to seek you. Help us to seek you. And not just come to argue, not come to prove you wrong, not come to try to disprove your existence, but, Lord, that we would seek you for who you are. God, I pray for just your help when it comes to the stresses that we have about things we've already seen you deal with in other ways. And I pray that you will, God, come through, Lord, for those of us that find ourselves up against the wall. We just need you, Lord. We lift you high and we again say you are the victorious one over all things, Lord. There, you have no competitor, God. Who's going to come at you, Lord? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. God, I pray for all of us who are half-healed. I include myself in that group. Lord, I just pray for your help, Lord, that we would stop 
rushing stuff to the other side of the room only to trip over it later. Pray, God, we bring you our hurt. We bring you our rejection. We bring you our sickness. We bring you our failure. We bring you our soul issues, our emotional issues. We bring you broken relationships. I pray you breathe in the broken marriages today, Lord. I pray you do unbelievable things in people's hearts who have already walked through the brokenness relationships that have failed. I pray, God, that we would see many miracles, Lord. God, just the, the confidence, the hope, the courage. Get up again and continue seeking you, God. Maybe for those, it's just been such a long road. Oh, God, that we would return to hope today. Jesus. Lord, I pray you help us take up our cross and follow you. God, in a time when it is not popular to be a follower of Jesus, that we would follow you with a whole heart, with a singular vision, taking our eyes off those things that distract and entangle and placing them on our great Savior, fixing them on Jesus. So help us, Lord, if we've compromised, if we've bowed to the idol of comfort and security and success and lack of persecution, God, you would embolden us and empower us make us resilient. Thank you, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus today and you want to put your trust in him, I encourage you to pray with me right now. I encourage you just to say, Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross. Thank you so much for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you that you want a relationship with me. Thank you that I can come close to you. Thank you that you want me to know that heaven and eternity is mine because of what you've done on that cross. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you that your love for me is so great. Holy Spirit in my life and do a new thing. One last prayer I would love to lead somebody in today, and that's this prayer. You can just say this quietly. If you're somebody here and you came in to argue and now you're kind of wondering, should I seek? Would you just pray a prayer like this? God, if you're real, show me. Jesus, if you can be trusted, show me. Open my eyes. Help me to see you for who you are. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship our amazing God together. If you need prayer, during this last song, you can come up. Our prayer team members will be up here at the front. If you don't want to come up during the last song, you can come up after service ends. God bless you guys.